Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Today, we're honored to have John Klimek, Senior VP for Standards and Information Technology with the National Council for Prescription Drug Programs, or the NCPDP. John's going to talk to us today about some new work that the NCPDP is working on that echoes a theme we've talked about quite a lot on this show, consumer-driven healthcare. This is work by NCPDP that will bring the patient back into healthcare as a consumer. So we're excited to hear from John. In the meantime, I'm your host, Matthew Albright. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments, Z-E-L-I-S. Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for WEDI. That's W-E-D-I. WEDI is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. And like I said, we're honored to have John Klimek, Senior VP for Standards and Information Technology at the National Council for Prescription Drug Programs, or the NCPDP. Previous to joining the NCPDP, John had 30-plus years of strong, comprehensive management experience in the pharmacy healthcare field. John was manager of pharmacy claims at SuperValue Pharmacies, where he was instrumental in implementing and rolling out new NCPDP telecom and script standards to its 2,000 stores. So, John, very glad to have you here on The Collective Voice. Well, thank you, Matthew. Thank you for this opportunity. I really look forward to it. Terrific. And, and uh, Weedy and NCPDP have always worked closely, so it's good to see these two organizations uh, talking together. Um, but if we could start with you, I touched on a little bit of your past experience. Uh, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you ended up uh, at NCPDP and in, in prescription standards. Sure. So I, I'm a pharmacist by trade. Uh, I started working in industry, as you mentioned, 30 some odd years ago uh, as a staff pharmacist uh, uh, for several retail uh, pharmacies here in the Chicagoland area. Uh, from there, I slowly progressed to working in the corporate environment, uh, mostly monitoring claims reimbursement to make sure pharmacies were getting reimbursed for the claims that they submitted, uh, or they, they actually, for, for what they submitted. Uh, so we worked very closely with health plans, payers, and pharmacies uh, to make sure everybody was on the same wavelength. Uh, from there, I got involved with NCPDP because a lot of the transactions obviously were all an NCPDP transaction, and I needed to learn more about those transactions and some of the data elements that were coming back and forth between the pharmacies and the payers. <clears throat> so I started with NCPDP probably in the late 1990s. Uh, from there, I uh, was on a lot of different um, uh, work groups and, and task groups. Uh, I was a co-chair for some, several of the work groups. Uh, I also sat on the board of trustees for a number of years. Uh, and then from there, an opportunity came to actually work as staff for NCPDP in this environment of trying to uh, perform a link between NCPDP and the rest of healthcare uh, to make sure that everybody understood what NCPDP was doing and, and to see how we can collaborate with other SDOs such as uh, HL7 and X12, 
uh, and also very, as you mentioned, very closely with Weedy uh, to, to basically help healthcare move along the path of interoperability. Uh, so we, that's been my goal. I've been with NCPDP now 12 years. I think what's terrific is you you spent many years, three decades, in fact, right, working to figure out all of this stuff on the ground as a pharmacist, uh, working with pharmacies uh, to figure this stuff out. And and then you rose to this this level of uh, advocacy and, and at the national level where you're actually involved in the policy. I think that's a great story. Yeah. You know, I, I never thought that I would be in this realm of healthcare. Uh, I always enjoyed enjoyed working with customers and taking care of uh, my clients. Uh, on the clinical level. Uh, but then when I started to learn more about how we can improve some of those processes and get patients their medications much more quickly uh, and also more efficiently, I, I sort of gravitated towards this process of working with NCPDP and all of the NCPDP members, uh, obviously, to make that happen. So, um, like I said, starting out in pharmacy, I never thought that I'd be in this, in, in this realm uh, of healthcare, but I enjoy every minute of it. Terrific. Terrific. So talk to us a little bit about NCPDP for our listeners. This is the National Council for Prescription Drug Problems. Problems. <laughs> Programs. <laughs> Programs. I'm sorry. <laughs> Could be solving problems, too. Uh, so what is the NCPDP's mission? Uh, what, what, what are they supposed to be doing? Sure. So uh, NCPDP is an ANSI-accredited uh, SDO. We're a not-for-profit. Uh, we like to think of ourselves as creating the multi-stakeholder forum space for developing and promoting industry standards and business solutions. Uh, so, you know, when NCPDP first started, obviously it was all around pharmacy. Uh, we had the payers and the pharmacies. But then in the late 1990s, early 2000s, you know, we started to get more of the physicians involved in some of the other aspects of healthcare, such as using e-prescribing, and that's our stand, one of our standards. So it was, it, you know, our standards were not geared up just specifically for pharmacy use. Now we're starting to see a lot more of our transactions or or, or standards being used by the rest of healthcare uh, in, in that manner. So uh, again, it's just you know, NCPP has open doors. Uh, we we want to make sure that. We have all of the entities in healthcare participating. Uh, we've got about 1,400 members, uh, and our membership ranges all the way from the actual pharmacist to pharmacies uh, to actual payers, processors, and then we also have vendors and general interests. We have all of the federal government agencies uh, that participate. We have CMS, HHS, ONC, FDA, all the alphabet soup. We, you know, they all participate in NCPDP because. They see some really they see advantage of trying to understand those processes and also how they might be able to add on to those processes again for 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 for, for their membership. So again, you know, we have we have open door and we want to get everybody to the you know to the same table. Very good. And I'll just say from the point of view of a consumer, um, when I think about uh, going through any kind of healthcare exercise, going for uh, any kind of healthcare items or services, seeing my medical doctor, the one thing that seems to run very smoothly, where I always know how much I have to pay, what my copay is going to be exactly, and, and, and instantaneously, I know when I leave my doctor's office, I can go across the street to the pharmacy. It always seems to be the prescription drug. So I, I know there's uh, lots of controversy and, and, and consternation about the prices of prescription drugs, but the program itself and, and the transparency about what a consumer has to pay, I think that's all due to NCPDP's work 
over the last two, three decades, right? They've set up these transactions so that things move very quickly. Consumers, providers, doctors, everybody knows exactly what's going on in terms of prescriptions. Yeah, and, and not to date myself, but I started in the pharmacy right at the edge of when computers started to hit the pharmacy. You know, so we did a lot of things on paper. Um, and unfortunately, paper, you know, it would take days, weeks before we not, if, whether we found out that the medication was actually covered for that patient and then we were getting reimbursed. Uh, so we needed, a, we needed a, a, a foolproof process where the pharmacies could actually send a transaction to the payer, get back a response, usually in under two seconds, that the patient's covered, the drug's covered, and this is what the copay is. Uh, so with that in mind, it just it just sped things up. And, and those processes have been happening in pharmacy for 30 years now. Uh, so it's trying to get the rest of healthcare more digitalized uh, is my challenge, you know, in my, in my day-to-day job. Yeah, and it's quite a challenge. I think I think certainly the NCPDP and the prescription drug uh, transactions are a model, uh, like you say, for the rest of healthcare. So, what are you most excited about your work right now? What are you working on right now? Well, so there's there's a couple of aspects that we're working on. Um, one of them is the real time prescription benefit transaction. As you mentioned, it's really good for the patient to know leaving the physician's office what their copay is going to be for that medication. Uh, so we've been uh, building, our membership has been building a transaction uh, that basically is going to be something that the physician's going to use at the time of prescribing. So they'll be able to uh, ping the payer and then say, okay, this particular medication is going to call, cause, uh, cost Mrs. Smith $10 as a copay. And then Mrs. Smith now knows when she gets to the pharmacy, that's what her copay is going to be. Uh, or in cases of sometimes percentage copays or whatever, still that, that, that information needs to be in that physician's hands to tell that, that patient before they even leave the pharmacy. I could tell you as a practicing pharmacist how many times a patient would come in with a prescription only to find out that they could not pay for it because they didn't have the, have the funds to do that. So not, there were a couple of options, call the physician back to get the medication changed to something else. Uh, or, you know, unfortunately, we saw a large percentage, percentage of those patients just leave and never get that medication filled. So th- that was a huge burden on healthcare and in, in, in trying to understand how we can get more of that, the, 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 the patient their medications when they leave the physician's office and, again, know what their out-of-pocket cost is. So right now, uh, uh, industry is ready for January 1st of next year for uh, all of that, uh, everybody to be using that transaction. Uh, so we're kind of excited about that. Um, and then fr- from, th- from that point on, we'll be able to now uh, understand more of the uh, information that's coming to the pharmacy is going to be now a clean process for the pharmacy to process that, that prescription and, and fill it and get the patient on their way. Uh, we've got we've got uh, some estimates in industry that 20, 30 percent of those medications that are filled at the pharmacy are sometimes never even picked up. Uh, and then basically they're put back in the stack and then the patient never gets that medication. So, again, it's 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 a huge advantage. We see that uh, moving forward. Yeah, I think those are those numbers are I think are staggering. Uh, the fact that 30 people, 30 percent. Uh, of of people who are given prescription drugs look at the price tag and say, oh, I can't do this today, and and they right. walk away. I think that is that that's just staggering. So I think a, a real time a real transaction, a real time transaction too, but an actual transaction that tries to fix that is amazing. And I do want to point out too that you know. 
there's a lot of rules that have been passed for hospitals, for health plans in terms of transparency and pricing. There's a lot of the government's coming down right. very hard on, on full transparency of what patients have to pay. But I have noticed that they're not coming down hard on <laughs> prescription drug in terms of transparency because you all are already doing it. And, and you just depend on government to show up at the end to, to make it a requirement, right? So I love that. That's right. That's right. And, you know, getting back to that point of that patient, you know, being at the pharmacy, you know, in, in the past, uh, you know, most of them would look to the pharmacist for alternatives. I mean, over 60% of the patients coming in would look to the pharmacist to say, what's my alternative? What do I, you know, what options do I have? And that's when the pharmacist would make that determination and then call the physician and then move forward. But that's very labor intensive. You know, the physician thought that he was prescribing one drug. Now, all of a sudden, maybe that day or the next day, he's getting a call from the pharmacist going, well, Mrs. Smith can't pay $200 for this medication. Here's an alternative. Now they have to switch it. So there's time. And then also the patient probably didn't get their medication for at least a day or sometimes multiple days and, and trying to get that all ironed out. Or if there's a prior authorization that's needed. Uh, same thing. A physician with this real-time prescription transaction can now determine that that medication needs a prior authorization before they send that patient off to the pharmacy. And so they can start that process automatically. I can tell you again, as a pharmacist, I sat there for days waiting for a prior authorization to be approved before I can get that medication to that patient. So again, it's a, it's a huge healthcare issue out there, uh, something that we, we hope we can solve with this real-time uh, transaction. That's terrific, John. And, and, you know, I love it. You know, we're talking about standards. We're talking about policy up here. But w the way you describe it, you know, waiting a few days to get an authorization, that's life and death situation. Or, or if not life and death, you know, situations where the complexity of a health condition can get very worse very quickly, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the patient goes to the physician for a purpose. They're, they're sick. They need to get something to help them feel better or, or, or take care of the problem. Um, and if they've got to wait two, three days to get that medication, uh, that especially if it's an infection or something, that, that could just make, make it into a hospitalization now. And, and, and that's where the cost really does add up. Absolutely. Uh, and I think NCPDPs, they're also working on specialty drugs. Is that, do I have that right? Yeah. So, well, about four, year, four or five years ago, we brought together a group into NCPDP that was around specialty pharmacy uh, to sort of understand some of the nuances that are out there, you know, uh, with specialty pharmacy. And there's a lot of things that we've learned from the onset was that with specialty pharmacy, there's a lot of manual processes that happen. Uh, we found that fax machines were, was used 90% of the time uh, when trying to get drugs approved or, or prior authorizations or whatever, uh, uh, or to get uh, uh, copay assistance for, for, for patients. Uh, so all of that was a manual process. So we basically looked at all of that and, and we put together a work group that basically consists of task groups that are looking at individual uh, processes uh, that may be uh, they may benefit from some of the NCPDP transactions, or if we need to make some modifications so that it better fits specialty, uh, that's what this particular group is doing. Uh, but, you know, the last word is, is over 50% of the drug spend right now is in specialty pharmacy, uh, which had, that, that's just grown in leaps and bounds. Uh, so, we, again, we want to make sure that, uh, the, you know, that to the earlier point of getting the patient their medications on time uh, is, is critical. 
And we've heard with specialty, especially with some of the prior authorizations and some of the things that need to happen with specialty, sometimes that was taking days, if not weeks, before the patient would get their medication. So we're working very closely with, with specialty pharmacies, phar pharmaceutical companies, uh, to see how we can better improve those processes. Uh, and, and we've had some really great uh, success in getting a lot of people to the table to, again, understand all the, all the issues that are happening in specialty pharmacy. So, uh, excellent. So now, uh, if you could back up for me and maybe for some of the listeners, uh, can you describe uh, specialty drugs and specialty pharmacies and, and what makes them a different animal? Sure. Well, especially, well, first of all, specialty drugs are unique in the fact that in most cases, pharmaceutical co companies will develop uh, these specialty uh, drugs that will only be used in a very small percentage of the U.S. population. Uh, sometimes it's less than a less than a percentage or even a half percent. So it's it's in some very rare cases, uh, medical conditions where these specialty drugs are needed. Uh, so that's what makes them, uh, you know, a little bit more uh, controlled because they want to make sure that the right person is getting these medications, and especially if the physician is prescribing it, to make sure that he's aware, you know, of some of the issues around some of the specialty drugs and getting that patient that medication. Uh, with, with the advent of specialty uh, drugs became the entity of specialty pharmacies. And those pharmacies were the ones that more or less just took care of fulfilling the orders for specialty drugs. So they had to go, they had to work with the physicians, they had to work with the pharmaceutical companies, they had to work with the patients, they had to work with uh, uh, other outside entities you know, that may help with the financial burden of some of these specialty drugs because these specialty drugs can, can be tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, and when you talk about, you know, out-of-pocket expenses for the, for the patient with some of these drugs, it, it can be rather astronomical. So, uh, again, uh, that's where some of those nuances come into play in trying to get that patient that medication. Uh, right now, a lot of pharmacies uh, use what they call pharmaceutical, uh, pharmaceutical portals, uh, where they basically go in to enter all that information into the system, uh, to get 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 the information to the pharmaceutical company as to what the physician is going to prescribe for that particular patient. Uh, so a lot of data is being being inserted into a lot of these portals. Uh, but from the beginning, we heard that one if you've seen one portal, you've seen one portal. Uh, there's there's hundreds of pharmaceutical companies out there, and every one of them has a different portal. Uh, I remember talking to one gal that did this for a living as far as taking care of patients. Uh, she had basically had two, almost three binders full of material on different portals and what she had to do in order to access some of the information. So, again, it's a very complicated process, um, but something, again, we're looking at to see how we might be able to improve that. Very good. Very good. And it's interesting because it echoes a, a theme we often hear in healthcare, where it's the 2080 rule, where, you know, maybe 20 percent of uh, what we see in healthcare accounts for 80 percent of the cost. Here, it sounds like less than 5 percent of it, these specialty drugs accounts for 50 percent of the cost. Really something. It, exactly. And like I said, it's been growing in leaps and bounds over the last two, three years. Uh, they estimated in, in 2020 that it was going to hit that 50 percent mark, and it did. Uh, so it's just, again, it's a very, uh, very high cost area, and there's a lot of uh, payers and processors that are trying to manage that as well. Uh, so it becomes a, a, huge, a huge burden. Yeah, and if, but if we can crack those nuts, nuts, then we'll be saving a lot more money, right? So, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and saving lives, too, getting patients their medications. Absolutely. So um, talk to us a bit about, if you would, since this is your field, right, the, um, the role of the pharmacy, which, which 
to my mind, seems to be growing because I'm going to the pharmacy for more and more right. healthcare uh, over the last couple of years, especially with regard to the pandemic. You want to sure. On that point? Yeah, sure. So, you know, far, like you said, far, uh, pharmacy, uh, the, some of the services that they provide ha has been growing in leaps and bounds over the last five to 10 years. Um, more, more so, I mean, when I started in pharmacy, we basically took care of patients with medic uh, filling prescriptions. We had some minor services such as taking blood pressure and uh, doing uh, blood glucose uh, monitoring for them and analysis and things like that. Uh, but now pharmacies are being put in the role of uh, doing a lot more, such as vaccinations. Um, that that's a huge part of, you know, uh, I, again, healthcare looking for that output to see where a patient can get that va vaccine, and so especially in some of the rural areas where you it might take you an hour, an hour and a half to get to a physician's office. Whereas you've got a Walgreens right on the corner or, or, or Walmart or whatever. Uh, so, you know, we're starting to see more of the role of the pharmacist changing uh, so that they can provide those types of services. So, you know, we've looked at that very closely at NCPDP to make sure that, you know, that those processes that we put in place, those standards that we put in place can also still be used when, you know, it's expected for pharmacies to administer uh, things like a COVID vaccine or even to administer a COVID test. So we've get, we put, we've put out a lot of a lot of guidance around that, so that industry knows that this is the way they need to use our transactions in order to perform those services. Uh, so again, to your point, you know, pharmacies, uh, the pharmacist roles are just continually growing in leaps and bounds to be looked at as not just the person that can fill the prescription, but then also people that can, pharmacists that can take care of uh, the rest of the healthcare of that patient, uh, so including like some vaccines and everything else that they do for them. Very good. And, and you know, that brings up another theme that we often hear on this um, uh, show, especially with regard to the pandemic is the idea of access. And so here's an example, right, where the pharmacy is one of those tools which may help with access. Because like you said, uh, we all have a Walgreens or a drugstore right around the corner, right? Right, right. And like I said, it's, it's I, I, you know, as a side note, I've got, a, I've got a, a son who's a pharmacist and he works for a retail chain here in, in Chicagoland area. And he just tells me that, you know, he, he's not involved so much in, on a day-to-day -day basis of filling prescriptions more than he is. I'm taking care of all the other things that he's got to take care of, such as the vaccines and everything. So, uh, I mean, even he sees his role has changed dramatically in the last couple of years. That's very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it's, so, it's always good. To, it's always good to have a younger, younger pharmacist to, to to bounce things off of too. Yeah, I bet. I bet that. I can only imagine your dinner conversations with your son. That's terrific. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was like we're gonna we're thinking about doing this. What do you think? He's like, oh, you know what? That's exact. That's exactly what I tell him too. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Like, why don't you do this? Uh, and I think that's fascinating. He's telling you that that he, he, much of much less of his work is prescriptions. That's that's really something. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's but but again, I think that's you know that's always been a part of the farm. Even when I was a pharmacist in the stores. I mean, you, I took care of a lot of patients, you know, uh, their medical questions, things that they, because sometimes they couldn't get a hold of the physician or, I mean, there was a, a lot of trust that was built up there for that patient to come into that pharmacy and ask you a question uh, that they might have been hesitant and even asking the physician in most cases. So no. I, I always found that as really, really rewarding to some degree. Yeah, I believe it. I believe yeah. it. I, yeah. Um, talk to us about the universal uh, patient identifier. 
That's something yes. else that the NCPDP is working on? Yeah, so a couple of years back, um, you know, we've been keeping an eye on the progress of industry possibly moving to some type of a universal patient identifier. And we, we knew that there was all kinds of, you know, legal issues around that and there were uh, bans put on that. And, and so, so then industry decided, well, let's come up with some kind of a matching algorithm to try to match patients better. But even with that, there seemed like if you didn't have all the key information uh, that, that really, you know, didn't give you a, a really clear match on that particular patient. So, you know, we went, uh, we, we partnered with a, a company, Experian, you probably know them very well, and they have Experian Health, uh, which they basically uh, manage a, a lot of lives uh, through that process. Uh, so they have a lot of key data on patients, a lot of information. So we started to look to see how pharmacies might be able to benefit by getting a, a cleaner match on a patient uh, when they when somebody walks into the door. So if they're actually filling a prescription for John Jones, they actually know that this is the John Jones who might have lived at this address two, two years ago, but now he lives at a different address. So we worked with Experian Health to develop what we call the UPI. Um, and this is a number that's actually used behind the scenes. So the patient never even knows what this UPI is or even if they have a UPI, but it's a number that's cross-referenced in industry that says this is who this person really is by all the data that's, that's supporting that. Uh, so we, we have a lot, a lot of pharmacy chains, chains that have done this process uh, to basically look at their data. <clears throat> and we found some astonishing things. We've seen uh, so, some pharmacy databases uh, average between 10 and 15% duplications, where you saw the same patient in there multiple times, maybe different addresses. Uh, same thing with hospitals. We see eight to 12, eight to, eight to 15% uh, duplications happening even at the hospital level. Uh, so again, we just saw some huge benefit of this happening. Uh, so uh, back in the end of 2019, we actually reported with Experian uh, that we had all of the US population enumerated uh, that actually has a UPI. Uh, so if you walk into a pharmacy or a healthcare system, that is using this UPI in the behind the scenes, you can pretty much ascertain that that is the person that you're dealing with uh, and, it's, and it's not a guest any longer. So uh, we're trying to get industry more involved with this process. Um, uh, and I can only ask people just go to our website and look under UPI and I'll give you all the information there uh, on how you might be able to participate if, if you wanna participate in that, in, in that process. Very good. So talk to me, um, uh, uh, universal patient identifier. And, I've, and it reminds me of something I think the banks uh, were doing or were working on uh, over the years, uh, just a couple of years ago, too, where the idea was to keep the bank accounts kind of hidden within the bank so that right. if you lost a check or something like that, then you didn't lose all your identity because that it was it was, you know, I don't not even I know my bank account bank account number that the bank uses. And this would be the same kind of thing. I wouldn't know my own ID, but it's a way that the, the pharmacist and the doctors keep it straight. So from the point of view of as a consumer, what, what are the advantages to that? Well, the advantages are that 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 you that that this information is behind the scenes, and nobody actually has that has that has a list of those numbers, if you want to call it that. I mean, it's basically being run behind the scenes, um, and 
So if you went to somebody and says, well, you know, what's my UPI? Even the pharmacy couldn't even tell you what that UPI is, again, because it's happening behind the scenes. So I think that I think that's the critical point, point because you look at all the identifiers that have been used in industry to identify patients. I mean, we first started off with Social Security numbers being the identifier. And then and then all of a sudden it became, a, you know, you can't use that number. So then healthcare then says, OK, well, we're going to each health plan is going to have their own ID. Well, people change their health plans probably every couple of years, three years, whatever, and they've got multiple IDs then. So I, that's where the issue comes into play is that, you know, are you really dealing with the patient that you know is John Jones and not somebody else that, you know, may have, uh, you know, some cross issues happening there? So, again, you know, we, we're just trying to work with industry to, to solve this problem. And, yes, to your point, you know, government has, has stepped back from that and says, you know, we're not going to mandate any UPI, uh, but they were strongly recommending some algorithms for this cross-matching and cross-referencing. Um, you know, that's great, and, but we're still hearing that there's a lot of holes in that process as well. Right, right. So, um, John, uh, it sounds like you're working on lots of exciting things, consumer-driven health care, uh, universal patient identifier. Um, where do you want to see either your your sector of the industry or healthcare in general be in five or 10 years? Where, what would be the ideal state uh, based on everything you're working on? Well, as a pharmacist, I know we keep pushing for pharmacists to be identified as a healthcare provider. Uh, because right now, you know, we are only in the sense of filling prescriptions per se, and maybe giving. So, you know, there are some states that are moving towards that as a goal uh, to identify uh, 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 pharmacists as as a healthcare provider, uh, so that they can then maybe move into more clinical aspects, you know, get, getting back to the point of vaccinations or whatever, uh, you know, maybe there's other things that they, they could do uh, that may lessen the load on some of the, some of the, uh, some of the healthcare that's happening out there. Um, you know, everybody hears about, you know, physicians retiring and shortages of physicians and, and things like that. Well, you know, I don't know, we've not seen any pharmacies really close up per se. I mean, we've seen some re small retail pharmacies close, but in general, you know, things are pretty productive out there in the pharmacy world. And, if it, you know, to the earlier point, you can always find a pharmacy in a corner someplace. And I think that's, the, the to me, if I, was in, if I was in government, I'd look at that as being a true advantage of having that healthcare individual in those pharmacies that can be able to take care of those patients and, and maybe get them, the, you know, the right information or the right therapy or whatever it is that they need. To, to decrease those hospitalizations. And I think that's where we see the true benefit. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Tough thing to aim for. So, uh, John, uh, lots of things we covered today. Any place you want to send listeners, uh, uh, websites or presentations or conferences or someplace where they can learn more? Sure. Well, uh, of course, you're always welcome to go to the ncpdp.org website. Uh, we have a lot of information there. Uh, if you want to look for UPI information I just talked about, or some of the some of the things that we're working on with specialty pharmacy, uh, you can do that. Uh, what I also do is I recommend if you have interest in, in looking some at some of the things NCPDP is working on, and you maybe want to participate, we offer the ability for anybody to participate in our task groups. Uh, so you would just go to the the, the website DMS D as in dog M as Mary S dot NCPDP.org. Uh, you could sign up there with your email address and give yourself a password. We don't sell that information. 
Um, so you can basically then get into all the task groups and see exactly what's happening there. And what we do is we look for your expertise. We look for healthcare's expertise to help us with some of these issues that we're working on. Uh, right now, we've got about 60% of our task groups that are, that are actually uh, uh, attended by non-members. Uh, so that really gives us a really good flavor as to what's happening out there in healthcare, and again, how they might be able to help us in some of the issues we're, we're, we're up against. So uh, those are the two things that I would recommend, our NCPDP website, and then our task group website, dms.ncpdp.org. I love that open door policy, uh, John. I think that's great for NCPDP. To, it's not just about membership, but let's get as much knowledge in the room as we can. I think that's terrific. Right. I mean, it was years ago that, you know, we decided, you know, we, we, we had membership, obviously tied. We knew exactly what, but then we, we saw that there were some holes that we needed to be filled. So we started to advertise out there in industry that anybody could participate. And like I said, we have a large number of, of non-members that participate on a daily basis. That's excellent. Well, thank you, John. This has been a great discussion. We've been talking to John Klimek, Senior VP Standards and Information Technology at NCPDP. Thank you, John. I've, I've learned a lot and uh, a lot about pharmacies and prescription drugs. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Matthew, again, for this opportunity to speak to you. And thanks to Weedy for offering this. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, John. This has been the collective voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast, where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.